Hey, Drew Dixon from Lovely Nerd back with you for another Bible Thump. Uh, we're in 1 Peter 3, and I want to do um, what I always do in this, and that's to encourage you a little bit from the Bible. This is a weird passage. Um, the first part of it that we're going to read is really like hopeful and um, and powerful, and, that, and Peter makes a powerful statement on what Jesus did through his death and resurrection, what he accomplished. Um, but then the last part of it's kind of weird and we're, and we're left asking a lot of questions like we often do <laughs> when we're in the Bible in general, but specifically in first Peter who Peter tackles some, some topics that certainly make us either uncomfortable or, or scratch our heads. So, um, I want to try to make you scratch your head a little bit less, though that's not my goal. Um, but what I want to do is present this passage to you in the greater context of Peter's letter and also just the verses that precede it. Because what Peter really is doing here is encouraging Christians who are suffering. And based on what we know about First Peter and the churches he wrote to, these churches in Asia Minor, they probably weren't um, heavily persecuted Um yet like that would that was coming and that's probably part of like god's design in his providence for this letter was to prepare these christians in asia minor for some deeper suffering the type of suffering most likely that ch- that christians in asia minor who originally received this letter the kind of suffering they had was more like social ostracization that's a big word they were ostracized. Uh, let me break that down. Like they were mistreated. Um, they were looked down upon for being Christians by the wider, like Greek Roman world. Um, they were seen to be kind of weird. Um, it's probably not that much different than today, where um, in our culture, um, Christians are assumed to be a certain way in America. Um, Christians are viewed a certain way, like politically, or blamed for the political ills of our culture um, or just looked upon as like backwards or um, out of touch or unloving maybe. And some of these reputations are like totally earned to be honest with you by American Christians. Some of them are unfair. Um, But the reality is, is that like almost no one has a blank like check (laughs) when it comes to thinking about, Christians in our culture. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have a more positive view of what that means. But some followers of Jesus have a really negative view of what it, uh, when they hear that word Christian, because they've met so many Christians that were like super judgmental. As a nerd, you probably have baggage with that too. Um, So I just share that to say like our culture is not all that different from Peter's. Um, We face some of the same, same issues. So Peter was writing to them to, in the midst of this kind of like um, being looked down upon, being mistreated a little bit, being um, a little bit of a social outcast, in light of that, Peter encouraged them to continue doing good. That's the focus of this passage. Um, so I'm going to read verse 18 um, in just a minute of First Peter 3. But before that, because that, that's going to be the focus of our past of, of this Bible thump is going to be verses 18 through 22. Um, but before that, I want to remind you that what Peter's going to say about Jesus in this passage 
is preceded by his challenge to Christians to undergo suffering, unjust suffering, with patience and with dignity, and to continue doing what is good in the face of unjust suffering. So his goal in this passage is to challenge us, no matter what kind of like mistreatment we might be facing, whether it's fair or justified or not. Like, and we can have that debate about some of the suffering that Christians are going through in our country today, or some of the like, you know, and even suffering to some of you may seem like a strong word. Some of the being looked down upon and being thought of a certain way and being sort of stereotyped of whether that's fair or not. Um, but the point here is, Peter says, in light of that, um, he challenges Christians to keep on living for Jesus, to keep on doing what is good. He says, who will harm you if you are devoted to what is good in verse 13? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord is holy. He's saying, put Jesus first, set him apart as most precious, most valuable, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience. So when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So Peter wants us to devote ourselves fully to doing what is good. So think about um, loving our neighbors. Think about looking ways for ways to serve our neighbors. Think about um, meeting the needs of the needy around you. Think about um, taking up the cause of the widow. Think about... Um, looking for ways to make the lives of the people around you better. Think about um, loving God supremely with all your heart and then your neighbor as yourself. Those are the kind of things that Peter wants us to be up to in the light of how we're treated. So you're mistreated. Um, you're looked down upon. You're sort of scoffed at or laughed at or thought of in a unflattering terms because you're a Christian. How should you respond? Peter doesn't encourage us in any way to take up arms and get really defensive and go to battle to win the culture war over whatever hot-button issue we might be facing right now. There's a lot we can mention, right? Abortion's been in the, in the news, um, and we could talk about all kinds of whatever uh, thing you want to throw in there, um, you know, gender issues or whatever it is that you think is the battle you have to win. Peter doesn't call us to take up the banner and and fight that cultural issue. What does he call us to do? To continue doing what is good. Why? Because it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is like the most obvious answer ever, but that's what Peter says. Um, keep on living for Jesus. Keep your focus on him. I want to just challenge you like it's so easy to lose sight of that and to jump in because of social media in particular but because everyone on social media is so loud um in telling you what side of the cultural war you need to be on and what you should be doing to fight it and you know you know painting everyone's on social media we're constantly painting a vision of what it looks like um of what they think it looks like to follow jesus um don't feel like you have to let those people define you. You don't. You don't. You can follow Jesus. You can read passages like that, like this one, and determine to follow him. There is another way. 
between choosing sides in this cultural war. There is another way, and I think it's one that Peter lays out here. All right, so that said, that's the context in which I'm going to read the passage that I actually intended to, to unpack today. And I realize, yeah, I've spent a lot of time building, setting the context, so I'm sorry. All right, chapter 30, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. All right, what, what, the what, right? That's what you think, what the what? Um, all right, so this beautiful statement about what Jesus did on the cross, he suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, might bring you to God. That's so beautiful, and it tells us the purpose for which Jesus suffered. Um, so, Jesus, Peter's point here, I think, ultimately, is that Jesus lived out this command that Peter's calling Christians in Asia Minor to embody, and I think, in a way, us today to embody this idea of suffering with dignity. He's saying there's no one that suffered with more dignity in the history of the universe than Jesus, because he's the one truly un... Sorry, almost blasphemed there. Uh, He's the one truly righteous person. The one truly righteous person in human history chose to suffer on behalf of all these unrighteous people. And his purpose in doing so was to bring you and me to God. Um, His suffering was a reconciling suffering. It was a suffering that joined together broken humanity with a holy, set-apart, perfect God. You see that, right? It's really beautiful. Um... So then Peter goes on to explain some of the implications of this. He says, He, Jesus, was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and made proclamations to the spirits in prison. So there's this big debate about who these spirits in prison that Jesus went and proclaimed in the Spirit to them. Um, there are people that believe that Jesus like literally physically descended into hell when he was when he died on the cross. And um, like or 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 the place of the dead, whatever you want to call it, Gehenna. Um, that he descends into this place and proclaims to spirits there, like, I don't know, victory over them, over like the demonic spirits or something. Um, It's really hard to know what he proclaimed. Then there's other people that say just his death was a proclamation in and of itself. The act of Jesus dying on the cross was a message that went out to every, like, spirit, Um, like angel, demon, soul, whatever. By the way, as a side note, like the Bible's vision of humanity is one where we don't divide between the idea of like physical human beings and souls and spirits. Like those are all one entity, I think, according to the Bible. So that that's established. Um, yeah, so maybe his, his death on the cross was a proclamation of victory over, over these um, like disobedient spirits, a 
of some kind. He says they were disobedient in the past. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah? Um, and then he says baptism corresponds to this, to, to Noah's being saved and his family being saved on the ark. And he says baptism now saves this. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, which is another problematic thing. Like, does baptism make us right with God? Um, well, he goes on to tell us that that's not exactly what he means here because it's not as a removal of dirt from the body. So it's not that this like act of baptism actually like clean, cleanses you, um, but as a proclamation, sorry, um, but as a pledge of a good conscience towards God. So anyway, I think what he's saying is that um, baptism is a proclamation of this whole thing that he's calling us to do, this like suffering with dignity that he calls us to, that 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 fathers of Jesus are called to embody, just as Jesus did. So Jesus, just as Jesus suffered with dignity, he suffered in a way that he wasn't just like trying to defend himself, but instead had this greater mission in mind of loving and serving and saving and reconciling sinners. So too, like following Jesus baptizes us into that same vocation. Do you see? I think that's the point. So in other words, we can get really bogged down in like trying to figure out what exactly Jesus did, how he proclaimed to these disobedient spirits. And we can get really bogged down into like figuring out what baptism is all about. Um, but none of those are the point of this passage. The point of this passage is that Jesus suffered with dignity. Look at his example. Marvel at his example. And rejoice in the victory he now he now experiences. Because he goes on to say, through the direction of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. So here's here's some things to keep in mind. Um, embrace the same kind of like attitude about mistreatment, or um, maybe mistreatment's the wrong word, but like just frustration about your current like reputation, frustration about how people perceive you as a Christian. Um, like take all that and endure. Because Jesus did, and because there's blessing in it. And on the other side, there's this promise of a position, a seat in God's favor. Like a seat, a position of knowing that like you did what Jesus did. You embodied the kind of life Jesus embodied. Um, you embraced the vocation that Jesus embraced. And so God's going to honor that. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father with angels and authorities and power subject to him, um, and he invites us to join him in that place. Not that um, you're going to be the king of your own heaven or something. That's not the point. But you get to join him. The Bible says we'll reign with him, right? That we'll be with him for eternity. We'll reign with him um, and that's why Jesus suffered, to bring us to God. So when we know that Jesus suffered to bring us to a much better place, to, to, to save us from this broken world and to promise us a much more beautiful, brighter um, future full of dignity, then that gives us a vision of the kind of life we're to live now. Like, I think this passage should move us to go, how can I come alongside people who are suffering? How can I come alongside people who are being mistreated? How can I come alongside people who are in a bad place, in a bad way, and love them and serve them and point them to Jesus? That's a vision. That's a, an idea, I think, 
of what it might look like to suffer with dignity just as Jesus suffered with dignity. So my encouragement to you, if you read this passage again or think about it again, is like don't get bogged down in trying to figure out all the details. Embrace the vocation Jesus embraced. Suffer with dignity. Don't lift up, don't always be out to fix your own reputation or lift up your own, uh, the, you know, always be worried about what people think about you. Instead, let go of that and just do the things Jesus did. Embrace the kind of lifestyle Jesus embraced. Live for, for him and for his kingdom. Let's make following Jesus simple. Let's not complicate it. That's my encouragement to you, and I hope that helps. What's one small way you could let go of your reputation this week to love and serve someone or just to continue following Jesus as best you can? It's not hard. It is hard, but it's not rocket science, right? Um, I hope that encourages you. I hope you'll think of one way you can do that this week, and uh, I'll see you again next week. Thanks.